Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 24 of a series of episodes that we're calling Leading Others to Christ. Those of you who have been listening, uh, you know that during these episodes, our focus will be on evangelism. Uh, we have many goals, actually, that we're trying to accomplish with this. But what we're trying to do is to revive us again, if you will, to stir us up, to stir us up to uh, love and good works, but especially in the area of reaching our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers uh, with the gospel of Christ. My name is Dan Barker, and I preach for the Creekside Church of Christ in Franklin, Indiana. Franklin is about 20 miles south of downtown Indianapolis, so that'll give you kind of an idea of, of where we are. And uh, for those uh, that know me, also know that I'm passionate about our topic today, about evangelism and about leading others to Christ. And I have been ever since I was taught the truth and obeyed the gospel in Owensboro, Kentucky, when I was 21 years old. And ever since then, I've been trying to learn how to do this, to learn how to do this better learn how to teach others, to learn how to, to use some Bible phrases. I've been doing this every time too. to sow the seed, to be a fisher of men, how to make disciples. And, and using what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, and the things you've heard from me. Now think about Paul saying this to Timothy. The things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. I'm going to say men and women who will be able to teach others also. So I came up with this idea, who, who's doing this? Who can I learn more from? Who can I sit down and who can be a mentor to me? Or who can, uh, uh, who are these Christians and men and women out there that are uh, fellow workers that are actually doing this? And once we find out who they are, to reach out to them and do an interview and, and see what we can learn from them. So that's, that's what we're doing today. And we want to find out with these interviews, uh, learn things that can help us. Because we all continue, I tell everybody all the time, I'm, I'm 74, but I'm a work in progress. I'm still learning. And yes, you can teach old dog new tricks. So we all, we're all learning here, right? And, you know, quite frankly, the response to this has been really exciting. We, we had one recently where an interview where 1,200 people listened to the, uh, to the call. And we're in foreign countries. And so we're not real sure yet what this can do. But, but anyway. Those that are, that are listening, please continue to share it and like it with your friends and family so that we can get the word out. Today, we're really excited to have with us Andy Cantrell. Andy works with the uh, Northwest Church of Christ in Maple Grove, uh, Minnesota. And uh, welcome, Andy. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, good, good. Andy and I talked a little bit the other day. We've not met. That's been a, a real fun thing for me. Is of the 24, I have I need to go through and figure it out, but probably at least half uh, I've not met in person. And uh, and Andy's one of them. And Lord willing, Andy will get to meet sometime face-to-face. But just uh, so excited. We've got some mutual friends, and that's always fun to hear. But let's start out, Andy, because the time goes so fast. Um, let's start out with what we've done with every interview, because some people don't know who Andy Cantrell is. So give us a little elevator pitch or the bow. Where were you born? And, and kind of bring us up to speed of, of, of who uh, Andy Cantrell is. So I was born in San Diego, California. Um, my parents, both first-generation Christians, I'd say, in a way. Uh, I suppose my father had some influences ahead of him, but not very many people in his family uh, obeyed God. But grew up there in San Diego. Um, I guess I'd say if, if this is about evangelism in my story 
<clears throat> part of what put me on the path to being passionate for souls had to do with my early life. My, my mother passed away when I was 10 years old. She had cancer. And uh, growing up in kind of the inner city of San Diego with just a father um, was, a, was a complicated uh, road during those, those years of teenagehood. And I would just say that the only thing that really saved me was God's word and God being in my life. And because of that, I just, I kept meeting people through my high school years who had difficult lives. Things were tough for them. They noticed that I, I had a joy about me and a way about me that was different. And sometimes people would ask me why that was. And I, I had to learn how to talk about it. I had to learn how to share, share the Lord with others. Uh, and as I started to do that in high school and into college, it just became all I ever wanted to do with my life was to continue to share the gospel with people. So that's, that's the early version. That's the short version. <laughs> uh, and where are you now? I, I mentioned it earlier, but where are you now? I live in Minnesota. I, I, I never intended to preach to make my living, but it's one of those things that just kind of happened. Uh, the more I taught, the more I was asked to teach the more I spent time teaching the loss, the more I wanted to spend my time doing that. So eventually I went down the road of, of preaching the gospel for my living. And I preached a little while in Fayetteville, Arkansas to train. And then I preached in Los Angeles, California for about eight years. And then I moved here about 14 years ago. Well, uh, I just, to me, I've always done this. I, anytime I meet somebody, I started doing this years ago. I always say, well, now where are you from? Where are you from originally? And it's always fun because uh, people, sometimes that's all they need to just, you know, and you hear a whole, hear a lot of things, but uh, I think it helps all of us to know a little, because it's always interesting. You go back and study, study the Bible and look at the stories that were told there. We were told where they were from. We were told who their families were, you know, all those connections, but, and you touched on it a little bit there, but I, I'm going to see if I can get you to go a little deeper. You know, there's a lot of talk and a lot of books have been written about our why. You know, what is what is Andy's why? Why? I know what you said there, but why are you doing what you're doing? Uh, why are you a gospel preacher, Andy? I mean, if I could put a text on it from Scripture, it would be Isaiah chapter 61. You know, when when that prophecy there uh, in Isaiah 61 talks about the Lord was going to come, the Messiah was going to come, the spirit of the Lord would be upon him. And he was going to come do some things for people, you know, bring good news to the afflicted and bind up the brokenhearted and all of those great things he came to do. I just simply say, I'm the guy he came and bound up my broken heart. Like he, he helped me with grief and difficulty in my early life and all the things the Lord did for me to make me into what he wanted to make me into as a, as a young Christian it motivated me to want to help other people find that. So the rest of Isaiah 61 is the part people don't usually read, but that's where he says to all the people that he helped, I'm going to make you priests and ministers. I'm going to, I'm going to have you rebuild the world. I'm going to have you pick up the bricks and, and put them back together of a, you know, a society that's been ripped apart that we're going to have a, a job to do. God's going to cause righteousness and praise to spring up among all the nations so I guess that's it. Like I just, because of my gratitude for what God's done in my life, I see brokenhearted people all the time that I identify with. And, and I know the answer to that. I well, 
No, I, not to interrupt you, but I, I just think that is so powerful. We could spend the rest of our time on that because as difficult as that, as that would have been to lose your mom when you were 10 and, and some of the things that you went through there, but it's, it's enabled you to be, uh, to look through different eyes, hasn't it? And, oh, and you, you can see people when they're hurting because so many people you say, well, Hey, okay, good to see you. Andy, how are you doing? And you go, Oh, I'm, I'm fine. But when deep down inside, you're, you're about, you're just dying and you need somebody to talk to and you don't know who to trust. So I'm thinking based on what you said, people that get to know Andy, they know that they can trust you to talk to you. Right. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I try to love people genuinely and, and mean it when I ask those questions, I'd say that those people that are looking to start conversations with people that go deeper, that turn to spiritual things, just be thoughtful about that one question. If you do ask somebody how they're doing and, and you get even a hint that life's hard for them, you be willing to listen. You be willing to ask the next question that somebody else doesn't ask. You, you tell them that you'll pray for them. You, you ask if they'd like somebody to, to discuss it with we can get better and better at having conversations with people if we'll just, you know, treat them with the golden rule. You know, would you want somebody to care about what you're going through? Absolutely. Has there been anyone, <clears throat> there might be one or, or there might be several mentors that have been in your life that have men or women that have encouraged you uh, down this path that you're on? Sure. I have to say my father, my dad was probably the best evangelist I've ever known. He is not a preacher. I mean, he doesn't fill a pulpit. He was a, he's a simple man who worked a blue collar job, uh, worked for the San Diego gas and electric company. And I don't think he ever went any further than high school, but he knew the Lord and he knew the scriptures and he was constantly talking to people in those ditches when they were digging ditches and guys in the trucks. And I still meet people now that tell me that my dad had an influence or taught them the gospel. He was always trying to share it. And we never really talked much about it, but I saw it, you know, he would have Bible studies in our home and I could tell he was always thinking about how to start another conversation with the next person. And I'll be honest, you know, <clears throat> he did that more than most leaders within the church that I saw. I, I didn't know very many preachers who were very evangelistic, at least that I could tell, but he was probably the greatest influence for me. And then since then, I've met countless people, some of them preachers, some of them not. Some of the best evangelists I know are just people who do their work quietly in their neighborhoods and in their workplace. Well, uh, again, another reason we wanted to do uh, this series of interviews is that uh, I don't know why, but it's like in a lot of our congregations, if you talk to people, it's like, well, if there's any evangelism that's going on, that's the preacher's job. That's what we pay him to do. And, and, and so many people uh, don't realize we're all, we all have the responsibility for a disciple. We all have the responsibility to make other disciples. And I love it that you said your dad would be down working in a ditch and talking to somebody about Christ. Uh, and that's, it, that's what I'm talking about, Andy, with this, to get the, uh, all of us as individuals, we do not have to be a preacher to do this. We do not have to be an elder. I have met elders that don't understand evangelism, that are not involved. You know, they're just inwardly focused and they they don't understand the work uh, of, uh, of reaching out to other people. And if we could get a, and just think about that, if you have a congregation that could get on fire, whether they're a teacher, a, a mother, a father, uh, and all the, and, and help them to learn the, of the people that they come in contact with, that they can have an influence on them. Look how a congregation could grow in a community. 
Yeah, very good. That's why I think that Isaiah 61 prophecy is so important. Yes. It specifically points out that there's geese flying over here in Minnesota, by the way. <laughs> you know that winter's coming because they're all they're all heading south. Um, so excuse the noise. I'm outside. No, no, no. For um, those of you that, let me do this. Andy's sitting out on it, the back of his deck, and, and it's a beautiful day, and the tree in the background, and, and geese are flying over. So, and you hear the wind blowing there. And I love this, Andy. That's good. All right, but all get, right. get, keep going back to your thought there. Well, in Isaiah 61, you know, it comes right out and says that it, it's it's the Christians that God has helped that are going to be called the priests and the ministers. We we think in terms so often as of clergy versus lay people. Yes. But the fact of the matter is, the way God designed the church is evangelism is not even a work we do. It's the work God does when Christians act like Christians. Good. You know, so when when we confess Christ and do good deeds, I mean, when we do what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, we're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world, city set on a hill can't be hidden. We do our good deeds in such a way that people see our good deeds and glorify God. The implication of a text like that is if we live our lives joyfully, righteously, we behave who we're, be the way we're supposed to be counterculturally when everybody else is falling apart because they think the country's falling apart. We've got a joy about us because we belong to a kingdom. And then when somebody asks the reason for the hope that's in us, we confess Christ. We share the gospel. If Christians just keep learning to be equipped to take those moments and understand that that's why we're here, evangelism will take care of itself. It doesn't have to be door knocking. It doesn't have to be some program that's top down. It's simply an identity and a way of life for the people of God. Good, good. Now you're, you're so right. If you, uh, several topic, topics here that we're trying to cover, but if I come, say I'm Laird in the community and I come, my wife and I come and visit the congregation and and obviously I'm interested or I wouldn't show up and, and we meet the back or front of the building or wherever and, and you say something or maybe I, I indicate that I'm interested in a study. Explain to us what you do there. Do you have a study that that you've put together or use somebody else to study or how, how would you do that? Yeah, I've got some things that I've put together over the years, actually, most of what I still use, I put together maybe when I was 20 years old, trying to trying to figure out how to improve on that. Maybe I'll answer that by saying, you know, when I was a teenager growing up in the congregation where I was, we had a lot of people who would come in and out of our church building visiting. And I noticed that often they would just be greeted with a, hey, nice to have you, glad you're here. But there wasn't really anybody asking them, why are you here? What are you looking for? What's your story? Would you like to study the Bible? And that was troubling to me that that wasn't going on. You know, these are these are obviously people who are, you know, looking for something if they're coming right. into your building. So I, I determined, I think when I was about 17, I just ask everybody who came in, hey, why are you here? What are you looking for? And can we study the Bible together? And to my surprise, people started saying yes. People started saying, um, yeah, I'm looking for hope. I'm looking for God. I'm trying to do something in my life. And I'd love to study the Bible with you. Well, then I was in trouble because I didn't know what to do with them. Like I, <laughs> I started getting studies and I had no idea how to do that. Yes. Ivan Stewart had some things that he wrote. Uh, I think it was called the Open Bible Study Series. It was these sure. tracks that sure. you kind of just go through with people. The, Those the, blue, the, blue, the colored uh, had different colors with them. Yeah. But yes. Yeah. 
neon green and pink and that's right yeah. i didn't know what else they, we had those on our track rack so i grabbed those and started studying with people and lo and behold it worked i mean yeah. I, over the years i think i've improved my craft a little bit to have multiple ways to do that right but i'll just say state the premise of this up front somebody who cares about souls and wants to be involved in people's lives God's going to help them find a way to do it. If you'll just start putting yourself out there and getting together with people. I think a lot of times it was more that somebody cared about them and spent time in the word with them than it was exactly how I put the words together or the lessons together that, that eventually they saw the truth because we were in the word together. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, just a couple of things there again, as a 17 year old, you, you started noticing those things. Okay. I didn't become a Christian until I was 21, but uh, most 17 year olds are, or maybe are not thinking that way. So I, I want to commend you for that. But it's like planting that seeds in, in the minds of, uh, of our younger people and, and not just the younger, because a lot of the older ones, they, they haven't heard that. They haven't looked at visitors that way. They might be afraid. This is going to sound terrible. Like some, there's a visitor and it looks like they're about ready to sit in my seat. They, they better not sit in my seat. But uh, anyway, some of the things that the silly things that happen. But yeah, I, I think that whole thing of, uh, of visitors and, and God has put that opportunity right there for us and how we follow up with them is such a, a, a talking point as well. Uh, let me just tell you a quick story about that. So one of the yeah. very first Bible studies I ever ended up having, there was a man who had visited. He barely spoke English. He was from Japan. And he was in town for a while, for some months, and he wanted to know about Jesus because he'd heard about Jesus, but he didn't know anything about him. So he came into a church and it was us and um, he could read English and translate it, but we had trouble communicating. Anyway, I studied with him for a number of weeks and he'd fill out all those tracks. He'd answer all the questions. And then at the end of some of those, I think it said, do you, would you like to be baptized? And he kept writing, yes, I'd like to be baptized. But I was still a little uncomfortable because there was such a communication barrier that he was understanding everything he was reading. Yes. After a few weeks, we kept getting hung up on some things, you know, in communication. But anytime we'd, we'd get hung up, he would say to me in English, he would say, well, God is love. Yes, God is love. Yes. And I say, well, yes, God is love. That's right. And he'd be happy about that. Finally, at some point when we were really digging into, you know, to be baptized into Christ, you have to believe that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the son of God, that you have to believe this. He is God. He looked at me very sad and he said, but God is love. And in that moment, we had done this kind of round and round. I realized that in his mind, he thought we worshiped love, that love was God in his Eastern kind of way. He wanted to worship this idea of love, not actually a God who created us, who sent his son. And even though he was saying, yes, I want to be baptized to the written things, he didn't have a concept of what was going on. There's a really important lesson for me that depending on where people are coming from, they're going to understand things very different. And it may take a long time to get them to see some things. The point is, going back to this, anybody who wants to do this, you're going to have some heartbreaking and difficult things you'll go through and you'll learn lessons, uh, maybe things you could have done better. But that's one of the stories that sticks out of my mind is something that, that I really learned from. No, that's, uh, you know, that's one of, the, one of the things too, that if you were making a list of why people don't get involved in, in leading others to Christ is the fear factor. 
Uh, they're afraid of what somebody's going to say to them or a question that they can't answer, but also of dealing with the heartbreak because you can't do this without getting your heart broken in many times. And Absolutely. You know, I think about the parable of the sower, you know, the first one there, it's like we sow the seed or share the word and, and, and the, and the birds come and snatch, snatch it away from, you know, it's like, well, it's like you want to shoo the birds away when you sit down and try to talk to somebody, but there's so Satan's out there working against us so hard. And he's very focused on what he does. And, uh, and uh, anyway, that I think uh, one of the things we've got a bulletin board uh, there where I preach. And one of the things we have up and keep it up there in the back is that to find the joy in sowing the seed, you know, d- do our part and find joy in that. And God will give the increase. But anyway, so many things we could say there. I know that let's talk a little bit about, because I know before we got on the, the program uh, this morning, you had a study with some folks from uh, India. Would you, uh, would you share that with it? Just kind of put that in a capsule and, and how that happened. You went to India one time, right? Yeah. A couple of years ago, I was asked by a friend if I'd like to go to India and somebody who had been going over there for a number of years pay, paid our way, like really just made it easy for us to go. I didn't know any of the Christians that I was going over there to be with. And, and I'd say that when I got over there, I realized many of the, the people we were around were part of what I would call the church of Christ denomination probably some things I wouldn't be comfortable with generally if I was a part of any of those works over there. But what we did is we went around preaching a lot of places. Unfortunately, we were kind of like the preachers on parade over there and drew big crowds, but we were the American guys. Right. Um, I, I don't know that I'd want to repeat that experience, but I did make some really good friends there, some young preachers who are just trying to do do it right. And they see some of the problems with the denominationalism and, and some of the liberalism and, and some of that that was going on. And they, they were, they're just wanting to try to do their work the way that God says. So since then, I've been doing a lot of online sort of preacher training. And then this, is partic- this particular study was with a local church that is working through some of the questions about, hey, what are women's roles? And, and, and what does it mean to be a church of Christ? And and how should we be operating and, and working? So anyway, I do that monthly. I, I work with them. Well, that's good. Well, I commend you for that. Yeah, with some of the, uh, we don't have time to talk about the technology, but just like what we're doing here, uh, you know, wasn't that long ago, we couldn't have done this. And you being able to have a, a study like that with folks from India today, and, and, and there's, just so many things have kind of opened up here. I mean, before when all this pandemic hit, I had been on Zoom calls before. I had never done one. And now I've ended up, I've had Bible studies and I've now interviewed you being 24 people and I'm still yeah. learning how to do it. I, I, Lord willing, we'll get better. But no, there's just some tools here that that we can uh, certainly use as we try to reach out to others. I know one thing that you mentioned in our phone call, and I, I wanted to make, I make sure I had it down in my notes here that Explain to the folks what you and uh, Ben Hall are doing with the Bible ABCs. Oh, just when all this COVID stuff happened and people ended up kind of being locked down, Ben Hall there in Brooklyn, good friend of mine, we just decided to start doing a, a Facebook live Bible study. So we call it Bible ABCs. All that stands for is Andy and Ben chats. So we just <laughs> talk about the Bible. I like that. Andy and Ben chats. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody wants to go on Facebook and look up Bible ABCs, they'll find us. And we try to do something once or twice a week and work through, we just kind of work through books of the Bible and discuss it and 
people participate. So. All right, good, good. I think the more things that, because a lot of people, I didn't know about Bible ABCs, right? And uh, there's a lot of things out there that our brethren are doing that can help us, that we can point people to and can help. Um, tell me, uh, is there a, uh, and you touched on one there, uh, you told the one story, but is there a conversion story that you would like to share with us? Somebody that you studied with that ended up obeying the gospel, maybe unique circumstances or one that just always comes to mind? Oh man, there's a million of those, I suppose. There's so <laughs> many, so many. Um, yes. Yeah. So, well, when I was preaching in LA, the, the church there had a, a, a house on the property, kind of a parsonage, uh, an old old farmhouse that had been part of the original property where the church was built. So I lived there. And one day I got a knock on the door and I opened the door and there was this woman standing there with a bike and her bike helmet. And she said, hey, can anybody come to this church here? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, of course, you'd be totally welcome anytime. And she said, because I've been reading my Bible and I, I just know I got to do something about it. And I keep riding my bike by this church and and I just want to know what this Bible means and what, what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, her name was Cindy. And I call her, you know, she's one of God's contacts. They just sort of drop out of heaven and knock on your door and ask for the truth. And um, But she was married to a pretty complicated fellow who, um, without going in too much into it, had been through a lot in his life and really was kind of a scary fella I'd say but we all started doing bible studies she was baptized he kept listening he kept listening uh actually one of the bible studies we had he actually did a drug deal during the bible study somebody knocked on his door and he went and sold him drugs and came back and sat down and said what were we talking about and uh it, they ended up moving but I got a phone call from him one time after that and he was in tears and he said hey can you baptize me over the phone because I need to get my life right uh, <laughs> most of the stories that I like to tell are just the gospel's so powerful to change lives that you never would have thought would have changed. If you'll give them a chance, if you'll stay with it, if you don't give up, you know, continue to care for them, continue to tell them the truth. Uh, don't be so afraid of them. The gospel's powerful to change people. Oh, wow. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. So yeah, just a knock at the door, right? You just never know. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. We always close it out with one thing. We call it the one thing. And you touched on it a little bit a few minutes ago. But so somebody's listening to this and they some, you know, they connect with Andy and, and they can relate to you. And because, you know, that it's true like that. We hear different ones and some we just I don't know how that happens, but we just kind of gravitate. Our personalities match up or we just feel comfortable. But somebody says, I, re I really want to I want to start doing this. Uh, I want to get involved in leading others to Christ. If there, and then there's more than one thing, but if there was one thing that you could say to somebody that they need to do or learn how to do to get involved in, in teaching others, what would you say, Andy? I would say they need to learn to care about souls. That's the number one thing. It, here we do evangelism workshops and we've, we've identified four categories of excuses and the four words that we use are care, consciousness, courage, and craft care, consciousness, courage, and craft. Most excuses that people give are craft. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know what to study with. I don't know how. That's craft. That's the caboose. That's the last thing that matters. The second thing is courage, going backwards. Yes. People say, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'll lose a friendship. I'm afraid I'll mess up. I'm afraid of a million things. Another one is consciousness. A lot of the reason we don't share the gospels, we're just not thinking about it. 
you go all your day and you don't realize that these people in front of you are souls. But the, the ultimate thing, though, is care. If we really learn to care, the rest will take care of itself. We are conscious of what we care about. We know that. If you love your kids, you're thinking about your kids. If you care about politics, you're thinking about politics. If you care about sports, you're thinking about your sports team. If you care about souls, you'll be conscious of it. What we care about and we are conscious of, we find courage to deal with. Everybody's courageous. They'll defend their, their football team, their political candidate, their kids. You'll see a mom who is shy become a mama bear because she cares about those kids. Courage will take care of itself if we care enough. And finally, craft, our abilities will get better and better because we care. Anybody who's good at anything can trace it back to the fact that they care about that thing. They love woodworking and they kept trying even though they messed up and they got better and better. So what I would say is we have to learn to care like we should. Wow. We should have spent the whole 30 minutes or 20 minutes here just doing that. That's good. That's real good. Listen. Again, the time goes so fast. I really, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this with us today, Andy. I want to encourage you to keep up your good work and uh, stay focused on it and keep encouraging others to, uh, to do this. If somebody wanted to reach out to you, uh, would that be okay? And, Absolutely. And if, anytime. What, what's the best way? What's the best contact uh, information uh, for them to follow up? Well, they could email me at andrewisandy at gmail.com. I'm not real good with emails, so they could also just text me or call me 763-258-7191. All right. Well, thank you so much. And tell my buddy Rick Lanning, I said hi when you when you if you do see him. Tell him I we will. talk. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Buddy. Again, thank you so much. And Lord willing, uh, we'll meet someday in person. And uh, I'll be following up with you uh, as we go forward here. But uh, keep encouraging your friends to tune into this too. So thank you. Thank you so much, Andy. All right. Thanks, Dan. Yes, sir. Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today.